0: Following is a production of Locked Up Sports. Everybody, this is Don LaGreca from The Michael K.
1: Show. When it comes to talking sports, Bob Walters and Brett Grasso are
0: the authority. Can't wait! When it comes to talking sports, they're the authority. It's Bob Walters and Brett Grasso. We lock up sports, and it starts now.
1: Bring them out, bring them out, hey. Bring them out, bring them out, you. Bring them out, bring them
0: out, hey. 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 Bob Walters from the Brian Gunzel Studios. This is Locked Up Sports. We got a big one for you here today. The Giants' offense is non existent in a Thursday night loss to San Francisco. The Jets try to beat the Patriots for the first time in seven years as multiple quarterbacks say no to their offer to come in and help the team out. The wildcard races heat up in baseball as it makes the turn for home in its final 10 days of the season. And we speak with Marty Smith of ESPN College Game Day about his new book, Sideline CEO. Welcome to the show, everybody. Thank you for tuning in. I'm Bob Walters, and listen, the Giants, let's start with the Giants. As always, the Giants just, they got themselves killed last night, okay? they It was basically exactly what we thought it was going to be. The offensive line could not protect Jones again, okay? It was the same story we've seen now for th- uh, five out of the six halves, and it's just, it's been the same thing. The Giants have no offense. You can't score 12 points in this league and win. Now, listen, last night we didn't expect much last night we didn't expect this team to come out and win you thought maybe they'd carry a little momentum in from the big comeback in Arizona but when Barkley was ruled out and when Thomas was ruled out you, you knew it was going to be you knew it was going to be tough for this team to even come in and compete against the San Francisco team who is ready and primed to you know make a run at a Super Bowl this year the Giants just are not ready uh I told you before the season that that Maybe you're going to have to temper, uh, tamper expectations a bit, but this team is worse than I thought they were. I mean, you can't if you can't block anybody, offensive line can't block the front four. Nothing is going to happen. The play breaks down. No matter what the play is, it breaks down. Okay, it's going to break down. Nothing's going to happen. You're going to have your quarterback running for his life. You're going to have your quarterback getting hit. And that's what happened last night. I mean, Jones was 22 of, 30, 22 of 32 for 137 yards. The Giants rushed for 29 yards. I mean, just some of these numbers. The total yards were 441 for the Niners, 150 for the Giants. The Giants had 121 pass yards to the Niners, 300. The Giants were 3 for 12 on third down. They, they only gave up two sacks, which is amazing to me. You know, that they only gave up two sacks. But listen, it, it, it is what it is. it is. The Giants really are not a good team right now. They're going to have to get this straightened out real fast. They got Seattle now this week. They got an extra couple days to prepare for it. And they, they, again, now we're back where we were last week with a game that now they're going to have to win. Because the Eagles are 2-0. The Cowboys are 2-0. and Now they just suffered a big injury. Diggs out for the season. We'll talk about that in a little bit. And the Commanders are 2-0. and So the Giants are sitting at 1-2 and two in last place. They lost. And this is a conference loss last night. Again, it's a game that we didn't expect them to win. Nobody really thought that, that, you know, that they were going to be able to go in there, into San Francisco, and leave with a win. But you would have liked to see at least a little carryover from the the great second half that they had and the great second half that Daniel Jones had. Daniel Jones threw for 300. He looked like a top-five quarterback in the second half against Arizona. 300 yards, three touchdowns. I get it. Arizona's not a good team. They're not a good team. And and the fact that the Giants even found themselves in that position last week is just you know says everything you need to know. Now that looks like it was more the Giants team than the second half. The second half, it almost looks like last and half. It almost looks like last week was a fraud. It was a mirage, and because we've seen this team now three te- three games, six halves, and five out of the six halves they've just been god awful, terrible, and the offense is is. No good. The defense is... We knew the defense wasn't going to be great. You know, if they teams are going to target, they're going to double and triple team Thibodeau. That's what they're going to do. He's their only real pass-rushing threat because Williams isn't getting to the quarterback anymore. It's a mess. It's a mess in, in, in Giants town here. And they are 1-2, and two, and the season is slowly... You can see it slipping away now. This looks more like the Giants teams that we saw the five previous years, not the one that we saw last year. And you thought they'd be improved... Waller did not really get involved too much yet last night. He didn't, not like he did in the Arizona game. And the Giants now are limping into Seattle with a 1-2 record. Barkley's not going to play next week. Thomas is going to be questionable. He's still got the hamstring issue. You know, that's usually a three-week, three-four-week thing. The high ankle sprain with Barkley, it, the Giants are in trouble. The Giants are in trouble. Daniel Jones, you can't really put this on him. Does he look good? No, he doesn't look great. But he's, he shouldn't be rushing as much. He's the, he's the second, third leading rusher on designed uh, running plays in the, in, the, in the league. It should be a running back. And you have Saquon Barkley. I mean, Jones has only thrown for 560 yards in this season. Two touchdowns, four picks. This looks like the Daniel Jones that we saw the first couple years. Not the Daniel Jones that we saw last year. Last year, he protected the ball. He cut down on the mistakes, and I told you before the season that he was going to need to get sevens, not threes. And what happened last night? They got a couple field goals. They went for two on the on the uh, the, the one touchdown they scored. They didn't get it, but there was also the safety, which I think that was the safety. You know, they marked them at the one-yard line, but it, either way, it's not like it would have mattered. The Giants came in there, 10-point underdogs, and it, the game went basically exactly how we thought last night's game would go, 30-12. Yeah, to 12, San Francisco, the better team, they dominated the game, they dominated the, the line of scrimmage, they dominated the time of possession, they dominated the yards gained. Everything was just weighted well towards San Francisco, and the Giants did not play a good game. And like I said, I didn't, want to, I didn't think the Giants were going to come out of there with a win. I didn't. But I would have liked to have seen them compete a little bit better. On a short week, you knew it was a tall task, especially with Barkley out, Thomas out, but you, you would have liked to have seen a little bit more You know, a little bit, put up a fight if you're going to go in there. Put up a fight against San Francisco. You know, give them a game. Make them earn it. Make them them go out there and get a win and earn a win, a tough win. And the Giants didn't do that. The game was, it was 3-3 through the first quarter. So, you know, they kind of hung in there. But once San Francisco and Purdy got the offense moving, they punched it into the end zone, and then they made it 17-3, and it was over right there. You knew the Giants weren't going to score 17 points. They couldn't move the ball at all. They could not get – they had trouble getting any yards. I mean, four rushing – four rushes for 29 yards for Breida. Now, you don't expect much from Breida. He scored the touchdown, but, you know, you got to – you can't – four rushes – I'm sorry, four rushes for 17 yards, not not 29. Slayton was their leading receiver, three catches, 32 yards. Now, look at listen to Purdy's stats. Now, if you look at Purdy for the year, he's thrown almost 800 yards. He's got four touchdowns, no picks, 77 Q, QB rating. That is the last pick in the draft. Every single team passed over this guy five, six times. Four touchdowns, no interceptions. He's leading a 3-0 and team, a favorite, one of the favorites to win the Super Bowl. And the Giants have just gave Daniel Jones $40 million this year, and he's not doing anything like that. Purdy was 25 of 37, 310 yards, two touchdowns. McCaffrey, who seems to be, you know, playing like he did two, three years ago when he was on Carolina. 18 catches, 85 yards, a touchdown. Uh, Samuel, six... you know. Oh, I'm sorry, that was rushing for McCaffrey. Samuel was their leading uh, receiver, and he had six catches for 129 yards. The Giants' leading receiver was Slayton, three catches, 32 yards. Now, a lot of that has to do with the, the pass protection. The Giants have been doing... I've Any success that they've had this year has been off of the play action. And when you're rushing for... Four rushes for 17 yards, there's no play action that's going to work. Nobody's buying that you're running the ball. So the defensive line is able to just pin their ears back, come after you, pass rush. The defense can't stop them. You got guys that can't stop them anyway. And now that they know you're throwing the ball, they're not even going to think about the, the play fake. They're not buying it. They're not biting it for it to give the, to give the quarterback an extra second or two. The only hope is to set up screens, which they didn't really do. And like I said, the game went basically as expected. And the Giants again now find themselves in trouble. And Brian Dable, this is the, the, this team has come in not ready now, two of these three games. They they basically weren't ready last night. I'm not saying that it's his fault it was a bad coaching job. But you've got to have some more fight in this team. you got to have them go out there and, and put up a fight. The game was over at halftime. All three of these games were basically over at halftime. If it wasn't for a miraculous comeback in the second game against a bad Arizona team, the Giants would be just, I mean, they'd be one of the worst teams in the NFL. They are not in good shape. They are not looking like a playoff team. And, I mean, how disappointing is it? We looked forward to football because we thought we had some good teams. We thought we were going to have a good, interesting season. And Rodgers goes down after four plays. And the Giants turned out they stink, and now here we are. Now staring down. Now we're rooting, Now we're looking forward to basketball and and hockey with the Rangers, the Knicks, and St. John's. Hopefully, they can give us a, a season because I, I don't see it from the Giants now. You know they going to Seattle. They they're playing Seattle this next week. It's not going to be easy. The Giants' schedule is not easy. The division is hard. You got two teams in the division who are two of the top teams in the in the conference. So the Giants, one and two, last place. Like I said, you got all three teams ahead of them are two and zero, oh, including the surprise, which is the Commanders. Now I don't expect the Commanders to be competing for the division with Dallas and Philadelphia when it comes down to it. But you know, you never know. You never know if the if they get a couple more wins, the Giants now there's going to be distance between them. It's it's. It's not good. And it all starts with the offensive line. I feel like we're always talking about the offensive line with the Giants. Like for years, since back with Eric Flowers. False starts, missed assignments, not blocking. Guys just running right through the line. I mean, they get and the Giants have rebuilt this offensive line. That's the that's the problem, too. They spend a lot of draft capital rebuilding this offensive line, and it stinks. It stinks. Five out of six halves, it has just been it's just been free for all for the front four. And these are teams now that didn't even blitz much. Dallas didn't blitz much. Arizona blitzed a little bit in the first half. And last night, San Francisco didn't have to blitz. Nobody was open. Jones couldn't get anything going. He was running around. And as far as the Giants defense goes with wink, I mean, I don't know what happened here because they're not blitzing either. The Giants defense has not been good. Now, we knew they were going to have to... Now, last year, they weren't a very good defense, but, they, but the brilliance of Wink Martindale and his blitzes and the, the way he blitzed and the schemes and the time, timing of the blitzes was brilliant, and he threw people off. He threw off good quarterbacks, and he was able to make them, have them make mistakes, and that's how the Giants won. They got special teams play. They got turnovers last year. They didn't turn the ball over, and when you're a mediocre to, to not-great team... That's what you have to do. You have to win by turning the ball over, protecting the ball, and special teams plays. And the Giants have done none of that so far this season. And we're three games in. I mean, listen, look. Next week's going to mark the, co- the quarter poll of the season. So it, another big game next week against Seattle. We'll see. We'll see if they come out. They have 10 days now to prepare for it. It's going to be It's a must-win. It's almost a must-win for the Giants again. You can't. You don't want to go to 1-3, and three, and then all of a sudden, before you know it, you're going to be 2-7, and seven, and you're going to be playing out the strength. As far as the Jets go this week, this week, the Jets have their old friend, the Patriots, into town. They haven't beat the Patriots in seven years. It's been seven years since the Jets. They have 14 straight losses for the Jets against the Patriots, against Bill Belichick, a lot of them against Tom Brady, and the Jets have to win this week. And this is a winnable game for the Jets. It's at home. They can win this game. And I don't know if, the, if it's going to creep into their head because clearly New England is in the Jets' head, right? Seven years. A lot of these guys were in you know, high school when the Jets and, and Fitzmagic beat the Patriots in overtime for the last time seven years ago. So you got, you got a, a decent, not a good team. The Jets are a better team than the Patriots. The Jets' defense has to play better. They're better than they were last weekend. Now, last weekend, they played Dallas, which is, again, a good team. I expect the Jets' defense to really step it up this week, play well, and beat New England. You're at home. It's a division game. You have to win this game. For the Jets to have any chance this season, they're going to have to win the games that they can win. Now, there's also reports they, they they went after a couple quarterbacks. They made an offer to Chad Henney. He declined. He said that he, you know, he's not interested in coming back and playing, playing for the Jets. And Tom Brady, I, I told you the Tom Brady thing was ridiculous. I don't even know why he spoke on it, but he put to bed that he's not coming to play for the Jets. And to be honest with you, if I'm a Jets fan, the last I know, Tom Brady would be nice to come in here. You know, if he if he still had it and he decided to come in, the last thing you want is to have Tom Brady, the 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 hated enemy, the Patriots. To come in here and help you get your Super Bowl—that would put that—that's the last thing you want. You'd rather lose than have Tom Brady be the one have to come in and be the savior and get you to Rodgers in the playoffs. And that would just create a disaster anyway. What if Tom Brady was good, and then Rodgers is ready to come back in the playoffs? What do you do? You got two all-time quarterbacks. I mean, it, it's—it would—it would have been a disaster. I'm, I'm surprised Brady even commented on it, but he did put it to bed. That he is not interested. He's not coming back. He's, you know, he's going to be working in the booth with with Fox. So, you know that 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 was a ridiculous rumor. The Jets, uh, like I said, Chad Henney, I You don't want Chad Henny either. They, listen, they're going to need somebody. Zach Wilson's gotten better from what I've seen. Zach Wilson's footwork has gotten better. He's been he's a little bit better than last year. He's just not good enough. He doesn't have the talent to be an NFL starting quarterback to take a team. And lead them into the playoffs. And especially if they were to get into the playoffs. He's not Mark Sanchez. Mark Sanchez was better. Mark Sanchez got them to the AFC Championship game now twice. Now, he wasn't the reason they went, but he could at least get them. He he played serviceable enough. Zach Wilson is not good enough. This was a, a bad evaluation by the Jets scouts when they took him. I don't know what they saw. He has not been good. He He has improved from last year. But he just doesn't have the talent. He's not going to get much better because the talent's not there. He's almost getting the most out of his talent. He's a borderline backup in this league. And I think at the end of this year, you probably won't see him much. They're not going to be able to groom him into the starter that they want. Especially now, it looks like uh, Rodgers is going to sign on for a third year. He seems very confident that he's going to come back for the playoffs. But this team's not going to make the playoffs. They're not good enough. They're not good enough on offense. We have no offense in this town. The Giants can't block anybody. The Jets can't block anybody, but they're better than the Giants. But they have a quarterback who can't get the ball to where it needs to go. You, know, you can't think and dunk your way down the field if you're Zach Wilson. That's what he does. He's late with the ball all the time. As soon as those receivers release in their routes, he's not throwing the ball. And then he has to check it down, and he has a bad mistake somewhere, and the whole thing goes to hell. So, it, again, it's not, a, it's not a good start to this football season for either team here. Now, the Jets, what they're going to have to do this weekend, and I think they should, like I said, I think they should win this weekend. I think they're better than the Patriots. The Jets have a good defense. They got to they play like it. Okay? The, the Patriots are good in the red zone. You know Belichick's going to have them ready. You know he's going to scheme well against the Jets. Just play up to your talent, and you should be able to stop the Patriots. The Jets are good in the uh, red zone defense. They're they're seventh in red zone defense. The Patriots are the fourth best in the red zone in scoring. Just stop them. You got to stop them. Hold them to three. Hope you get some short fields. Get a turnover or two. Get another special teams play. You know, when you're talking about both these teams needing turnovers and special teams plays, you know you're not in a good position. And it's not even Halloween yet. It's not even October yet. Forget about Halloween. It's not even October yet. So I, I do think the Jets... I think the Jets will win this week. I do. But, I mean, the Giants the Giants got to gotta, gotta figure it out, and they got to figure it out quick. These guys are going to get Daniel Jones killed, and he's, he's running the ball way too much, even the designed runs. He's second in the, in the NFL in plays designed for him to run. He's been sacked. He's been killed. He's got two touchdowns and four picks, this is the Daniel Jones of a couple of years ago, and hey, listen, it's, it's not going well. So I want to get to, um, before we do the baseball stuff, as baseball comes down now, 10 days left in the season, the Yankees are right there. One game over five hundred. Will they continue their—that's the only drama left around here. You got Tommy Pham spitting off his mouth about the Mets and the, the way they don't work, and we'll get to all that, and we'll get to the playoff— scenarios in the last week coming up in just a minute but now i want to welcome in our our guest for today special guest uh his name is marty smith he's from espn you know him well he's the southern guy he's he's a, he does college game day he does nascar he does everything he's all over the networks he's all over every one of the networks he's all over the espn plus college game day so here's my interview i spoke with him about his new book here's the interview with marty smith from espn Enjoy the interview. All right. Now we'd like to welcome in our guest. He's been with ESPN since 2006. He's hosted shows on the network such as SportsCenter Presents, Marty Smith's America. He's best known for his NASCAR coverage and his work on College Game Day. He is a New York Times bestselling author. He's one of the most entertaining and interesting personalities on ESPN. And he's got a new book coming out September 26th called Sideline CEO, Leadership Principles from Championship Coaches. His name is Marty Smith. Marty, welcome to the show
1: really appreciate it man thank you for the time for the platform and uh opportunity just to share a little
0: bit about sideline ceo absolutely i was just i was just telling him right before we came on i said it's the kind of book that i like that because you can you can you don't have to read the whole thing you don't have to read 30 40 pages you read two or three pages get a couple inspirational quotes for your day and you're good to go for the rest of the day
1: in today's world honestly brother that was by design and In today's world, where we have so many inputs all the time, and quite frankly, so many distractions all the time, I tried hard to figure out how to make this book extremely digestible. And it's funny kind of how it came to me. As I started the process of writing it, I started doing the interviews before I really knew how I wanted to format the book. And during COVID... I wanted to read a book every 10 days because I wanted to be out of my phone as much as I could. I didn't want to just sit around and be in my phone and scroll for an hour and a half and be like, hell, where'd that hour and a half just go? And so one of the books that I ordered was called I Want My MTV. And I laid down in a bed and I start reading the book. And it was written in that sort of oral history type of format where it would be like mtv vj three sentences david lee roth one sentence viacom executive a paragraph whatever and i I mean i shot up out of my bed i'm like that's it that's how i need to do this and so i broke it up into those eight sort of silos of leadership or pillars of leadership and dive into each of those pillars with all 20 of the individuals it's I think that there is tutelage and wisdom in those pages that people can can pluck, like you said, and sort of envelop or inject into their daily walk. I certainly have.
0: Yeah, I mean, it, it's great. He, he he interviewed some of the greats. I mean, you got Sabin, you got Mac Brown, Doc Rivers, Dabo Sweeney, Frank Beamer, Tom Izzo. Was there something that you learned? Like, were you surprised at any of the uh, of the coaches that you interviewed?
1: Uh, what well what I don't it? know surprises I, 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 they, they definitely said some shared some stories with me that make you sort of take a step back that top uh, excuse me stop time and you know whether that's Mac Brown sharing with me about when his player at Texas Cole Pittman passed away in a truck accident and the Texas Highway Patrol called Mac to identify the body based on the championship ring that the young man was wearing or whether that's Doc Rivers being so candid with me about the aftermath of the Donald Sterling controversy in Los Angeles when Sterling owned the Clippers and Doc was the general manager and head coach of the Clippers. And all of those stories just were really deep. I mean, there was just so much vulnerability there that those folks shared with me on top of the value of things like trust and communication and shutting your mouth and opening your ears and listening, because if you're listening, you're not guessing what you're going to be saying next. You're consuming intently what that person is saying to you, and you are responding in kind, and as a result... You're genuinely showing that person you care about them. All of those things are applicable. And I just thought that it was uh, the in totality it's a it's a neat a neat little educational tool.
0: Yeah, it shows that like cause Doc Rivers isn't like a loud screaming guy. It shows that a lot of people you don't have to be a, a vocal leader just to be a leader. You could be a you know, you can shoot lead by example. There's many different ways to lead. But some leaders have certain things in common. What did you find that all of them kind of have in common? Tremendous self-confidence.
1: The willingness to evolve and not remain static. And the number one trait is with great care and trust of your words and actions, you bring people with you especially when they don't believe they're capable of doing it themselves. And everyone leadership is not power. Leadership is influence. Can you through that trust of your words and actions get a group of people to come with you to achieve a goal or achieve an objective? So you're saying that's leadership. And Certainly, no. each of these individuals in the book do that, and they do it in such a high-pressure, win-now-or-you're-gone type of context.
0: Uh, now you say, so, oh, sorry, sorry go, ahead, go ahead. No, no, go, go right ahead. I was right going to say, well, you say that leadership is not uh, power, but with the the leadership the power and power influence comes power. power. Absolutely, it does. Can you
1: harness it? Uh, well, you can't really can, yeah. Can you harness the power? Can you take the responsibility given and use it to motivate or use it to tear down? Because like, power is an intoxicating thing, man. Power is a very intoxicating thing. And so if you can take that... that I mean, we're using the word power. The word is really responsibility. And can you take that with all that you've learned and the very unique personalities that you have every single year and or day with the personnel in your stead and teach them in a way that's consumable to each individual because no two people take in information or leadership the same way people learn differently at different paces and And so all of that. Is part, of all, is part of that leadership power. You don't treat everyone the same, to quote Roy Williams and Jimbo Fisher in the book. You don't treat everyone the same. You treat everyone fairly. Okay, so and that doesn't mean the context is the same for every person because it's not
0: yeah that, that I thought it was interesting. I, I forget who had said it, which one I read where he said, you know someone shows up late to a meeting if it's a freshman, he's gonna be getting oh, in a lot Roy more trouble. Boy Williams. Williams correct it's gonna be he's gonna get a lot more trouble than than say if one of his seniors shows up late and it's not that he's being treated them differently. he's just treating them fairly.
1: it's the it's because that senior through those years of work and daily demand of self to find the best self so that the team can thereby collectively be its best self, you've earned the right to get some latitude and grace for a mistake if you're a senior. But that doesn't mean every senior. Yeah. You know, like, again, the context for every person is different.
0: I, I completely agree. Now, you now you interviewed both uh, men men's coaches and women's coaches. Do you find any difference between the men and the women and how they they, they approach leadership? Uh, uh,
1: Well, there are certainly differences between the
0: individual personalities
1: of all 20 of the people, but based on gender, no. Okay. Because, like, you know, some of us are, are born with tremendous empathy, and so as a leader, like I think about Patty Gasso, who is the amazing head softball coach at Oklahoma who just won her seventh national championship. She was sharing with me that the words she kept hearing from her team was trouble. I don't want to get in trouble. And she doesn't want a culture where they fear trouble. She wants a culture where it's an open door and you can come to me because in today's world, these athletes want peace. And again, it comes so many different inputs and, and, you know you're not going to hear that from every coach so i think you know each person while while the core principles might have some consistency i think your 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 natural personality and your natural evolution as a person
0: also play into who you are as a leader that that's a good that's actually an excellent point now, i i always found it interesting somebody like let's say nick saban he's a legendary all-time college coach you know he's right up there with with any for anybody out there he's right up there with him the greatest ever but it doesn't translate it hasn't or at least for him it hasn't translated into the pros why do you think that his his stuff works in college but it just hasn't worked in the pros or do you think it does he just hasn't had the right teams
1: i think if he would had more time so you got to go back to the con, again i keep using the word context brother but i believe life is context and repetition but the context of the Miami Dolphins in that time, he desperately wanted the leadership of the Dolphins to take Drew Brees. That didn't happen. So then, you know, they were on they were on the ascension in Miami when he left. Now he did, I think. You know, you go back to the press conferences; he certainly made it clear, like I'm not going to be the head coach at Alabama. And then ultimately, he was the head coach of Alabama. Um, his, I think, Urban Meyer too. I think their, I think their coaching style is more conducive to these young men who are in the process of growing into men, from boys to men, from you know high school boys into NFL men, and you know that that very direct, um, very aggressive approach works with them. But when you play for them, you know what you're getting coming in. Now. NFL players who make a lot of money, they ain't, they ain't trying to hear that, man. College players make money now, not,
0: though too. College players make money now, too. Um, they do,
1: uh, some of them. But even though the college football that I fell in love with is extinct, it's still not the NFL. Now, if we get to the place where we're profit-sharing the television money at the player level,
0: you and I can have another conversation. Yeah, I mean, and it's interesting with the with the transfer portal and with everything going on. Now, people like Nick Saban and the old school coaches, they don't like it. But somebody like, say, Deion Sanders, he's taking full advantage of it. He he took a 1-11 team. He basically stripped it of all the players. He brought his players in. Do you not like the NIL? Do you not like the the transfer portal? What are your thoughts on that?
1: I completely agree that players should be able to make money off of their name, image, and likeness. I struggle with the fact that it is the Wild West right now. The coaches all use the word guardrails. There are no guardrails to the point that some states have passed legislation to have greater leverage to pay high school players to commit to those universities. Yeah, okay, good. There is no uniformity. There is no commissioner. There is no oversight. So, I mean, look, if, if we get to a point, I'm all for a player who is like like, like, like Shader Sanders right now. Okay? Let's take Deion Sun. Mm-hmm. playing phenomenally. If any company or any booster or any person wants to pay Shader to to endorse a product or to Go to a birthday party or sign some autographs. Whatever the context is, he's earned it. But like, that's what it was originally meant to be. You can earn money based on your name and end. That's not what it is,
0: brother. It's pay for play. No, it absolutely. Let's is. just call it what it is. It absolutely is. And the transfer, as far as the transfer portal goes, I as much as I, I don't kind of like they they're all free agents basically after every single year. Every college player, every person is a free agent after every year. The coaches got to do that. The coaches do that. And some of the greats have done it plenty of time. You've even said like Dick uh, Saban and Urban Meyer. They'll just they'll recruit these kids for years. They'll sit in the parents' living room. They'll tell them how they're going to take care of their kid for four years, and then they get a better offer, or they get an offer from the NFL, and they're, they're they you know, high it out of town. So I don't feel too bad about for the coaches when it comes to the transfer portal and them losing players.
1: I only feel bad really for the, where we are right now. I feel worse for the high school player who's on the borderline of getting a scholarship offer from a university, but they keep pushing the kid. They keep pushing the kid just in case there's a young man who's already developed, who jumps in the portal that could take that spot
0: yeah okay that's a good point that's who i feel bad for and 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 i'll tell you who i also don't feel bad for is the ncaa who's been this has basically rendered them powerless if it wasn't for the ncaa tournament which they make a boatload of money off of from from cbs there would be no ncaa they're basically well what they
1: just did what they just did with tez walker at the university of north carolina they they should
0: be embarrassed yeah, listen. They, they, the the NCAA has done a lot of things. They, they're one money grab after another. Um, now speaking of Deion Sanders, well, what do you what do you think about this whole phenomenon? You can't talk about college football without Deion Sanders. It, it, it's a complete and utter turnaround at Colorado. They now they got some tough games coming up. They beat Colorado State in double overtime. What do, what do you think? Where, do, where does this go for Deion in Colorado?
1: Um, they do have some very tough games coming up. What he's done is remarkable. It is one thing. All right, look, it is hard to turn a culture, okay? It's hard. And he came into Colorado, and from the first address to the team, made it clear he was turning the culture. So he comes in, he injects his energy, he injects his resume, he brings in his guys and they flip that culture immediately. He got great players in there who believe in him as much as he believes in them. And what are the things that the human element desires? Hope and belonging. He has instilled hope and belonging within the University of Colorado's football culture. Now with they have become the okay. they've become the biggest story in the sport and he has already proven the vast majority of people wrong. Now, look, I don't get paid to prognosticate or pick games. They pay my colleagues all them millions of dollars to do that. I don't know what the future is going to be this season for those guys, but I can beg you this. If I'm a big-time four- or five-star stud, and you know, I, for, for the last several years I've had the standard Ohio State, Alabama, Georgia, Florida, Florida State, Texas, whomever on my on my big board. I am looking out the boulder because that looks fun, really fun. And Dion's a coach that is leading these young men with love. And and look, he is gonna he's gonna slay in
0: recruiting. Yeah, well, Dion never does anything without you know unless it's with a big splash. Anything. But he's
1: a great dude. Have you ever been around? I
0: haven't. I haven't. I haven't, but he seems have like the blessing a blessing
1: great- of spending. Dude, he is a great dude. Yeah, I, I believe. And that. obviously a great leader. As a, Going back to CEO, these college football coaches are the CEO of these programs, and he is a
0: damn good one. Yeah, in a lot of, a lot of cases, they're the highest paid employee of the state. So, I mean, you know, they got to be good. like the CEO. Now, what, um, now, with the success of Colorado, back to Colorado with Shador Sanders and with Travis Hunter, do you think more schools will now look at the uh, HBCU colleges and look at those players maybe through, to get them through the transfer portal? Maybe it gives them more of an advantage to get it into a Power 5 school?
1: Don't even know. I don't know how to even begin to guess. But what it's most certainly done is prove to anybody and everybody who's paying attention and because of how well they're playing, more people are paying attention, that those athletes are great athletes.
0: Yeah, they, they, they um, certainly are.
1: Great athletes. I mean, look, Travis Hunter was the number one player in his class, and he chose Deion. So, like, I mean, he's a he is such a dynamic athlete on both sides of the ball, and everybody thought he was going to Florida State, and ultimately he goes, nope, I'm going to go play for Coach Prime at Jackson State. And of course, he followed Coach Prime out west. But th- that they, they have definitely opened a lot of eyes. Those two young men this year.
0: What do you what do you think about the uh, the the basically the the jumping of schools? that are out of the Pac twelve. They're all going. You know, basically, are we heading towards a two conference or the two conference system here? The playoff expands, but all these teams are now jumping conferences. What do you think about that?
1: Uh, again, the college football that I fell in love with as a young person is extinct. Yeah. Um, this, I mean, it has potential. I, I do. I'm very curious to see how it unfolds with, um, you know, Cal and Stanford in the ACC, and with UCLA and USC and others <laughs> making their way to the Big Ten. And what does that look like for non-revenue sports or Olympic sports? when they have to fly across. like I mean, if you are UCLA or USC or Oregon or Washington or whatnot, and you're going to Rutgers, you're going to Piscataway, New uh, New Jersey, to play a game, I'm sure they're playing. I'm not talking to anybody about this, but I imagine their plan is to kind of double those up where they're playing those uh, back-to-backs, but – Nonetheless, uh, I'll be curious to see how it unfolds. Ultimately, it goes back to Journalism 101, follow the money, and the money is these grant of rights uh, for the Big Ten and the SEC are so massive for each school that it is
0: self-preservation and making sure that you have a future. Well, I mean, the they, USC could bring their, their their practice squad to beat Rutgers, and then play Penn State with their real guys the next week, you know. <laughs> but um, now, what? Uh, what was I what was I going to say? The um, what? Give give us a story from. Give give me something. What's the craziest campus you've been to, as far as college game day and then with everything you do, the craziest like wild campus that you've been to?
1: Well, I would say LSU. Um, there's there's no atmosphere. We were just in Starkville, Mississippi last weekend, and that was amazing until the game got underway, and LSU just <laughs> just kind of ran them out of the stadium. But LSU is amazing, man. There is nothing like Death
0: Valley on Saturday night. That's what I mean. I've always, I've always said a, that I've always said I want to go to an it, LSU Saturday night game. You have to uh, bucket list. You look, I. Not only do
1: I highly recommend it; it should be bucket list for every single person listening right right now.
0: <laughs> yeah, I agree. I've always said that. I've always been like that. That 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 environment. That just with the way that the crowds on top of it, it just it looks like an unbelievable, an unbelievable uh, atmosphere. And there's a lot of great ones out there in college college football.
1: Oh I mean, look, whiteouts at Penn State. Mm-hmm. at Penn State are just electric. The swamp. Um, of course, it's so loud. When, they, when they're singing Won't Back Down, it is just so emotional. but Going back to LSU, when they're singing "Colin Baton Rouge and the whole damn place is swaying back and forth, 100,000 strong. When Clemson runs down the hill, Virginia Tech Inner Sandman. I mean, these places, there are still some I've never been to that I want to go to. So I've never been to Camp Randall. Okay. I want to go to Wisconsin. I've never been there. I'm sure it's amazing, but that's the beauty of college football, man. What makes college football better than everything else is that pageantry and that tradition and the band, that drum. Like, it's just like fathers and sons and families and passing it down, and it's just like, you know, my, my in-laws are all, like, I, I married a Jersey girl, right? They're all Philadelphia Eagle lunatics. <laughs> you know Eagles, Phillies. Sixers, they're they're nutso about their city's team. They don't really care about college sports. And it's the exact opposite in the South where I grew up. We care about college sports. It is a lineage. It is like
0: bloodline stuff. And we don't pay that much mind to pro sports. Yeah, and I, like, I'm in New York, right? I'm in New York here, and I, I've asked multiple people why, why is it that college football doesn't and doesn't grass catch on like it does in the South? And it's basically because we don't have it up here. You know what do we have? We have Rutgers. Well, you Rutgers, do have is great pro. Rutgers is an and you LSU have great pro traditions. Correct, yeah. correct. We have great pro traditions, and we love our pro teams, and we are great. We're great sports towns. I just, we just don't Wonderful have that. We don't have that. You know that LSU or or the Big House or or the Penn State. Kind of atmosphere here in New York or anywhere near it. So you know you get Rutgers, and that's they when they're good, that gets good. You know you have the pandemonium at Piscataway a couple of years ago when they when they were good. But it's not the same as like an LSU or a, a Michigan or a Penn State or something like that. Um, tell us something great. about uh, about, Cor- about Corso. Well, I mean, look, he's
1: the sweetest <laughs> he's guy, a great guy, right? And seeing seeing that moment last weekend between that was great. Him and Kirk after you know coach was making his four hundred headgear pick and Kirk has been so sweet to coach Corso and his care is so obvious and his, his appreciation for how coach Corso was so good to Kirk when Kirk was first starting out and so green and coach held his hand and showed him TV and reminded him the very first letter in ESPN is entertainment, honey.
0: Yeah. And Kirk Kirk is all over the place now. He does, he does a great I job. Look, oh,
1: he's the, just a standard. I mean, he's the best. Yeah, and 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 just uh, like I don't know how he keeps that schedule. It's crazy how much he does each weekend. Yeah, but he's so brilliant, so brilliant at all of it.
0: He, he he's he's one. He's certainly one of the best. Um, all right. Well, the, the the name of the book is Sideline CEO. Marty Smith is the author. You know him from college, game day. You know him from NASCAR, everything on ESPN. Marty, I want to appreciate you giving us a couple minutes here, and then everybody go out and buy that book. It's a great job.
1: Please do. You can get it anywhere on September 26th. I appreciate you all so much.
0: Thank you, Marty. Appreciate you giving, giving us a couple minutes here. Thank you, brother. Thank you, thank you. Have a great day. You too. Good luck with everything. All right, how about that? Marty Smith, thank you again for coming on and giving us a couple minutes. That's a big name, guys. That's a big name, Marty. Smith, Marty Smith is a, is a big. That's a big get for us, right there. Um, listen, he loves Saban. I disagree with him with the Miami thing about Saban. I wasn't going to get into it with him just because I know how he feels. He, you know, like, greatest ever, this night. And, and I'm not debating whether Saban's the greatest ever, but Saban also went. You know, he. Let's see how he does now with Dion and with the the, the NIL and with the transfer portal, and it's not too good. Okay, he's already got a loss. If they lose this week and they got a tough game this week, they're out of the playoff picture. As far as Dion and Colorado go, it's not. It, the, now is when it gets real for them. Okay, you got Oregon in Oregon this week. Then you get USC in USC. And those are two games where they, they're a 20-point underdog this week. You know, Hunter is out for a couple weeks after the, the late hit. Kid got death threats that made the hit. Dion came out and and shut that down real quick. I mean, we don't need any of that. You don't need to be giving a kid death threats, all right? He, he, it wasn't even that dirty of a hit. It was a late hit. Hunter got hurt. It's a tall ask for Dion and Colorado this weekend, but so was the first week against TCU. So I'm not going to rule them out. I would say take the points. I would say they keep it close. And hopefully they could they can pull out a win. I'll be rooting I'll be sitting there rooting hard for them. You know, you know I'm all I'm all in on Dion and Colorado Buffaloes and take the points. Twenty points, listen, and maybe they maybe they, the magic continues and they can beat Oregon and then go in. If they somehow if they somehow win this game and, and they beat USC, then look out. Then they're national title contenders. I don't expect them to win this game and I don't expect them to win the next game. I expect them to probably be three and two. After five games, which would be a monumental success. It, it would be a, that's a huge success. The team won one game. Lead. They haven't been relevant in 15 years. Now they got the game of the week. They got the two, the next two weeks. They're going to be the game of the week. ESPN is setting up for weeks out there. Um, you're going to have Herb Street and Fowler are going to be on the, the game. Probably the next two weeks. They're going to be the ABC, the the premier game. And it's going to be a lot of fun. And you know what? Just go out there and try and try and win. You know, you got nothing to lose. You're the darlings of the of the country right now. Everybody loves Dion, except for the coaches such as, you know, Saban and those traditional Southern, you know, they 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 don't want anything to change because they it was running just fine for them as far as they were concerned. The SEC was was in the title game every year. They were hands down the best conference, and they still are. But you know now here comes Colorado out of nowhere, and they're they're a bit shaken. It's a bit shaken. So, but again, we want to thank Marty Smith. Like I said, it's a good book. Pick up the book. Uh, we'll, we'll go throw a link in the comments down on YouTube. It's it's not something you have to sit down and read. It's got like little um, you know blurbs from from different coaches from all the great coaches. Most of them are college coaches. Um, he does have a, a few NFL coaches in there, and and you know it's interesting it's interesting to what to see what they say about leadership and and the the traits they look for and the stories they tell i'm still not done with it but it listen give it a shot it's a good book you know we want you to read all the books that we that we you know uh highlight here on the show that's why we highlight them you know we're trying to get you to buy some books so buy some damn books would you um as far as baseball goes the yankees Yankees have been playing better. They seem to have leveled off a little bit here. We come into now we're down the home stretch. The last final 10 days, um, obviously nothing as far as playoffs or scenarios for the teams here. Um, the Yankees are trying to get that stay over 500. It's been a long time since they finished under 500. I had said earlier that I thought if they finish under 500 that it could be it for Boone. I don't know what they're going to do. I, I really have no idea. I think Cashman's staying. I think that's probably already set in stone, that Cashman's staying. And I don't know about Boone. I think Boone probably stays too. And I think there'll be an uproar from the crowd, from from the fans, for like two weeks. And then they'll kind of settle down. The Yankees will sign a free agent or two, and they'll be right back where they were. And it's not a good team. The Yankees are not a very good team. I mean, they're all right. They're, they're at average. They're on the lower end of average. You know, right around five hundred, but they're not in the playoffs, and that's what matters, right? Because the Yankee fans, if they're gonna scream and yell, the championships, the championships are a bust. Then you gotta own this. You gotta own this season as a failure. Now, like I said, they played better lately. They're six and four in their last ten. They're right there. They're game over five hundred, and we'll see if they do. I I don't think they're gonna. I I had said earlier, I don't think they're gonna. They're going to finish over 500. I'm, I'm going to go down with the ship and say that they're not going to finish 500. They'll finish below 500. You know what? To be honest with you, they'll probably finish 81 and 81. I mean, right? That's probably what will happen. As far as the Mets go, Senga, Kodai Senga, has really been the star of the team this year. Besides um, Alonzo, obviously. And, and the Mets, with Alonzo, it looks like they're going to get it done. It looks like he's not going to be traded. It looks like they're going to get the deal done this this winter, which is what I said. If you're going to get it done, you got to get it done this winter because you, you don't want to go into next year and be you know falling out of the race and near the trade, trade deadline and then get rid of Alonzo for a rental. If you're going to trade him, make the decision. I have no issue with trading him. And if you're going to trade him, make the decision and get rid of him this winter so you get a good return back. But it looks like they're gonna they they have a deal as far as money goes. Now it's just a, a matter of years. They're a couple of years apart. They're gonna come together. You're gonna in the next couple of weeks, probably the week after the season ends, maybe two weeks after, before the winter meetings, you there'll be a report that Alonzo and the Mets have reached a long-term deal to make him a Met for life, and you know he'll end up being he'll end up being one of the greatest Mets of all time. They will retire his number. He will hold all the offensive records. When it's all said and done, you know, barring any catastrophic injury. And the Mets don't have that. Mets have never had that, right? They, they've always been, they get they get rid of their players. They get rid of Nolan Ryan, Strawberry, Gooden. Piazza came late. You know, he had his, Piazza's best years were with the Dodgers. He We got the end of his prime. So Pete Alonso, David Wright got his, his career cut short, of course, with the back. I think it's good that they're getting it done. I think they, they, you know, Steve Cohen, I don't know why you would play hardball with Alonzo. I don't know why you throw throw money, as much money as anybody wants at everybody else, and then you decide to play hardball with Alonzo. It just didn't make sense to me. Like, like, what? why? The guy's going to hit 48, 50 home runs. He's going to drive in 130 RBIs. He's been nothing. He's given no trouble. He doesn't say anything wrong in the press. Give, make the guy a, a lifetime Met he's He's gotten better at first base he's still got you know he's still got he's still average first baseman, but he works on it, so give him the deal. I don't know why cohen and 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 the Mets decide that they're gonna play hardball with Alonzo. It never made sense to me, so i I was okay if they traded him, but it looks like they're gonna make a deal like I said they've come to terms on the money now it's just the years and they'll get it worked out they're a couple years apart, I get it, but they'll get it worked out. As far as Buck goes, I, I don't know what to think with Buck. There's, there's reports that are all over the place. There's reports that he was going to resign, that he was going to, after the season. There are reports that he wants to stay with the team. There are reports that the Mets want to get rid of him. So I don't know what's going to happen with Buck. I Listen, I can, I'll, either way, You go with either way. I mean, come on. We wanted Buck for how long? He was manager of the year last year. They won 101 games. Just leave him, leave it be. Buck is not the problem, okay. Buck is, <laughs> Buck Showalter is not the problem. Has he had a great year? He hasn't had a great year, but he is certainly not the problem on this team. They have no pitching, okay. The pitching that they thought they were going to get from the future Hall of Famers, all-time greats, just didn't never materialized. And it Scherzer has gone. Now he got released. He got waived because he he got injured with the Rangers, and. You know, it it just that's what that was the problem here. The bullpen stunk, but Kodai Senga is the star of the team. He's gonna he's he should win Rookie of the Year, to be honest with you, and he should get some votes for Sa Young as well. Now he's got one more start left. He's been great down the stretch here. He's he's reliable, and he's only gonna get better next year. He will probably be the, your opening day starter next year, barring they 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 throw a bunch of money and get somebody else in here. But Kodai Senga, listen, he's been everything as advertised. He's gotten better as the year has gone on. He's going to win Rookie of the Year, I think. And he's going to get votes for Sa Young. Now, the other news this week with the Mets was Tommy Pham. Tommy Pham came out and said that, that this, is, uh, this is the least hardworking team in the big leagues. Now, first of all, that, does, that doesn't even make sense. That, that statement, it's like a double negative. The, the least hardworking team. Like well, what is that? <laughs> First of all, I just wanted to say that because that makes no sense. Second of all, lookin', listen, this is the Tommy Fam experience. Okay, this is what Tommy Fam does. He brings race up all the time. He goes to places. He leaves, and then he burns bridges. That's what Tommy Fam does. He's not a bad ball player. He's a good ball player, but he very he all the time. He'll bring race up about things. If something doesn't go his way, he throws the race card. He plays the race card. I'm not saying that he's wrong with the race card, but he, he that's his go-to. And then he also burns bridges. He burns bridges. He got on he got on Mike Trout in, in LA. Now he's doing I mean, it's just everywhere he goes. That's what he does. That's the, the Tommy Fam experience. The the end of the Tommy Fam experience is always him trashing something about your team, your organization, your players, something. That's what he does. I wouldn't pay any attention to it. To be honest with you, you got Lindor who said, uh, I want to thank him for, for showing me how to work hard again. For, you're on a team that won 101 games last year, Lindor. Who why would they have to show you how to work hard again? You had World Series expectations coming into the season, you won 101 games last year, and you're telling me you needed to be shown this year how to work hard? This is this is this is the problem with the Mets. They, they, they just make you 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 pull your hair out with this team. If you follow them every day, they, they are just the most frustrating team. Now, Nimo's had a good year. I'm starting to think that McNeil might not be in the future plans for this team. He didn't have a good year, but I still think McNeil is one of the better hitters. I think he just had a down year. and But with with the kids coming up and the kids really hitting down on the farm in the postseason, a lot of the Mets uh, affiliates are in the postseason and they're, they're hitting. These kids that we got in, the Mets are going to have a good Team in a couple years. I don't know if there's a spot for McNeil to play every day. You know, at, at second base, at, in, in the outfield, and McNeil's been good. McNeil last night had two outfield assists, out, two outfield assists in one inning. He was responsible for all three outs. Threw the guy out at second, and then um, threw a guy out at the plate on a on a sack fly when he was trying to score on the out. So McNeil, McNeil is a good player, and and. I just don't know if there's room for him here in the future. I think he'll be on the team next year. But I don't see it really like three years down the line. And then, you know, by then he'll be starting to get a little bit older anyway. So I like McNeil. Listen, my jersey, I have a McNeil jersey. it He won the batting title last year. He's a good hitter. He's a good ball player. So, it, but I, I don't see him being on the team. I'm starting to, now in the last couple of weeks, I've started to realize that, you know what, there's not really a spot for this guy. When all these kids come up and, and He'll be getting a little bit older. There's not going to be a spot for him. But the Alonzo news, good move, like it, and everything like that. So that's what's going on. The playoffs, the playoff. As far as the playoff picture goes, listen, it's going to be a wild ten days. Okay, you got a, you got a good races for the wild card in both leagues. The American League, Tampa Bay is going to make it. Okay, Tampa after losing their best player, give Tampa Bay credit. They have played great. Since losing their best player in, in an arrest situation it was you know he's never going to play again. And the way that they've responded and that's what Tampa Bay does every year, even back with the Joe Madden teams, they had no talent they would make the playoffs they, they just grind it out every day. they win they're not flashy about it, they're not loud, they're not making a lot of noise. they just win ball games and they go to the playoffs on a yearly basis. So they are going to make the wild card. They're nine, they're, they're nine games up on the, So forget it. Their they're magic numbers like two. But then for the next two for the next two spots, you have Toronto right now is a half game ahead of Seattle and Texas. Texas holds the tiebreakers with Seattle and Toronto. So you got those three teams. One of them is going to be left out. Texas, remember, traded a whole they went for it. They got Scherzer. They went for it. They made a bunch of trades. They traded a lot of a lot of young talent in the minor leagues to make a push for the playoffs this year. Seattle kind of came out of nowhere with the great second half, long winning streaks, multiple long winning streaks. It's going to be fascinating. And Toronto, of course, has all the kids and they got a world of talent. That's going to be very interesting to see how that shuffles out and which team is left out of the postseason come next week. In the National League, the Phillies are going to be in. The Phillies have uh, a five-game cushion between the first wild card and the third wild card. Then again, it get, there's more teams involved this time in the National League. You've got Arizona, who is in the second wild card right now. They're two games up on Chicago and Miami. Now, the Mets just went into Miami, and they played well. The Mets were spoilers with Miami. Okay, the Mets played well. They, they, they put a big hit on the Marlins and their playoff chances, but the Marlins are still right there. They're tied for the final wild card spot with the Cubs. You got the, the Reds, who I'm rooting for. Love the Reds because <laughs> they're they got out of nowhere. The Reds are the team that came out of nowhere. No one saw them. They're a half game out, and then right below them is the Giants, who are fading a bit. They're three out. They they're very, they're now on the on the crest, uh, right on the on the line of, of, of falling out of it. They're gonna have to play real well. And then below them is the San Diego Padres, who were just help, hoping who have played well. The Padres have kind of put it together here late in the season to make a little bit of a push to make it interesting at least. But now it, they're going to run out of time. They're going to need collapses basically from Chicago, Arizona, Miami, and Cincinnati all of them to basically go like you know, 2 and 7 or 1 and 8 over the last 9 or 10 days of the season. And and they're going to have to win all their se- all their games. And is that going to happen? Probably not. <laughs> but but San Diego has made a bit of a push, and, and that's even more disappointing. It almost, it's almost like you don't want them to make the push because you know they're going to fall just short. Um, another note last, yesterday was 22 years since the Mike Piazza 9-11 home run. Me and Brett were in the ballpark for that. I just wanted to mention it. Uh, it's the loudest I ever heard at Shea Stadium, and I was at a lot of big games at Shea Stadium. We went to a lot of playoff games at Shea Stadium when they had them a ton of big games. For at least, you know, as, as many as the, the Mets had over those years, over my lifespan, which I shouldn't say is a ton because they, they didn't play a ton of games. But uh, We were at Bobby Jones, one hitter. We were at multiple playoff games. And I never heard the place sound the way it did the night Piazza hit the two-run homer in the eighth inning in the first sporting event back after nine eleven. So now, um, as far as this week with the NFL, you got some interesting stories going on. Um, I'm going to get to the Bears thing in a second because that's just, I don't even know what to say about that. I, I'm going to get to that with their coach and the, the FBI, and now there's a whole new wrinkle thrown in today. It, it's its wild. Dallas suffers a huge, a huge loss, okay? Trayvon Diggs is out for the season, torn, a, torn ACL in practice yesterday. This is huge news. Does this give the Eagles an upper hand on the division? I think so. I think the Eagles were already a better team than Dallas. And now with a, with a major, major hit for the Cowboys going down, Trayvon Diggs is out for the season. ACL, we'll see if he does the Rodgers therapy and you know, thinks he could come back in two or three weeks. But, but we'll see. Um, some games of note this week. You got the 0-2 Chargers visiting the 0-2 Vikings. Two teams who had high expectations this year. Two teams now who are 0 and two. And if you go 0 and three, you don't make the playoffs in the NFL. 0 and three is basically it's like a 10. It's like a seven percent chance of making the playoffs. That's how you don't make the playoffs at 0 and three. We when you start with three straight losses, you just don't make the playoffs. Very very few teams have. You got the Saints 2 and 0 at the Packers 1 and 1. Love has played well, better than I think most of us expected. The Saints are a surprise 2-0. That's going to be a good game. You got the Eagles and the Bucks. The Bucks at 2 0. They look like they're back a little bit. Okay, they didn't play good last, last week. They, they look like they're back. The quarterback's really playing well. The Eagles are the class of the NFC. 2 0. I expect the Eagles to win that game, but it's not going to be easy. Tampa Bay is is, you know, they're a they're upstart. They're an upstart team. Nobody saw it coming. They're kind of playing. It's us against the world type of situation down there. And then you got the one-on-one one Rams going into Cincinnati to play the O and 2 Cincinnati Bengals. And a must win for the Bengals. And I think they will. I think they will win. But this is a must win for the Bengals. Like I just told you, you can't go 0-3. I don't care who you are, you can't go 0-3 and, and expect to have any kind of reasonable shot at the playoffs. It just doesn't happen. We've seen it a million times, and a million times they've missed the playoffs. Teams that go zero three, I think that I, I don't know the number, so I'm not going to give you the number. But it's it's very low. Teams that go zero and three and make the playoffs. Now, Kansas City, Kansas City's one and one. Okay, they got the Bears coming to town. The Bears are zero and two. They're a they a mess. The story with the Bears, I don't know if you've seen it, if you've heard of it. Defensive coordinator for the Bears is Allen Williams. Williams last week resigned. His position as as, uh, as defensive coordinator, out of nowhere, right? He cited that he needed, uh, he wanted to go take care of his family, he had to work on his health. He was focusing on his health and his family. And from that press conference, the, the rumor mill started. And the, the rumor mill has been wild, it's been all over the place. I've heard everything from sex, child sex porn, to child sex ring, to drugs. And there was a report that the FBI raided both the Bears practice facility and Williams Home. Now it turns out they did raid Williams home. Nobody knows why. Today, it comes out that just yesterday last night, a100,000 dollars worth of equipment was stolen from, from Soldier Field. 100,000 dollars worth of equipment gone. Now, is, are these things linked? Who knows? Like I said, there's a million different stories out there. Nobody really knows what's going on. All we know is that he didn't resign because of health and, fa- and, to, and to focus on his family. That's all we know. There's been reports that the FBI raided his house, which seems to be true. There are reports that the FBI raided the Bears practice facility, which seems to not be true. The Bears have told, have told everybody that that did not happen. They were not raided. There was no search warrant conducted on the bears facility then today. So again, I've heard wild rumors, things that, that, you know, for everything from drugs to child sex trade to, you know, you name it, it's been out there. Most people are not saying what they heard, but it's out there. If you look on Twitter and you just type in Alan Williams bears, it's going to all come up. You'll see it. So now today there's a hundred thousand dollars worth of equipment missing from soldier field. The report is the Bears are looking for hundred thousand dollars worth of their equipment. And it's a disaster. The Bears are owing to, they have been terrible. The quarterback stinks. The defense stinks. And then on top of it, you got this going on. And you, you just you're just waiting for the for the dam to break and the story to come out because somebody's gonna eventually file a, a Freedom of Information Act to get what get get the story, get find out what's going on. I'm surprised they haven't filed it yet. One of these media outlets in Chicago has got to put in a, a Freedom of Information Act and get the story. You know, it's it's not going to it's not going to stay under the rug for long. I don't know if the Bears know what's going on and they just keep it quiet. But like I said, all we know is that Williams resigned as the defensive coordinator basically out of nowhere, cited health and family reasons, and the only thing we know is that he did not resign for health and family reasons. And we know that the FBI did, in fact, raid his home. So wild, wild stuff going on with the Bears. And who knows? I mean, stay tuned because that, that that's only going to get better. I mean, that's only going to get more interesting. And it's probably going to get crazier and crazier as we learn more. So that pretty much does it for us here today. I want to thank Marty Smith for coming on, giving us a couple of minutes check out his book. It's called sideline CEO. It's got great, great quotes from, from all the great coaches in college and, and everything like that. So thank you, Marty Smith for coming on. We're going to put a link in the comments here on YouTube. Remember, remember, don't forget to, don't forget to, to subscribe to our YouTube channel, to give us five-star rating on the podcast, to join our Facebook group. It's locked up sports podcast on Facebook. It's a Facebook group with a lot going on in there. Um, listen, Thanks for tuning in. Giants lose. Giants got it straightened. Giants got to get their act together with the offense. The offensive line, and you can't win if you don't score points. You're not going to beat anybody scoring 12 points. And five out of six halves, the Giants have just been bad football team. Seems Daniel Jones has reverted back a little bit. I'm not putting all the blame on him because, like I said, the offensive line has been terrible. And we'll see where it goes from here. They're going to need to get a win. The Jets, the Jets should beat New England this week. The Jets are better than New England. They haven't beat them in forever. The question is, is New England in their heads? Is Belichick in their heads? You know Belichick's going to bring his team ready to play. The Jets are better. Okay? Even without Rodgers, with Zach Wilson, the Jets are still a better team. They have a better defense. Their defense... Listen, last week was like... Last week's Jets game was like this week's Giants game. Okay? It it wasn't a game that they realistically were going to win. So, of course, you come out of it being like, oh, you know, terrible. The Jets... They had opportunities. They missed it. You know, you can't be dropping short pick sixes. You got to stick the ball in the end zone when you get in the red zone. And the Jets are are better than they were last week. And if they play up to their talent, I think they beat New England and I think they beat them by 10 points and finally get over the hump and win a game because if you want this season to go anywhere for the Jets, they're going to need to win the games that they're, they're supposed to win. Otherwise, it's just going to it's going to, you know, it's circling the drain. The Giants are circling the drain right now. And the Jets we will we'll join them if they, if they don't beat the Patriots because it's, it could go south fast. So the Rangers did start practicing. Training camp opened yesterday. So it, the, the help is on the way, hopefully. You know, God, dude, Peter, love you. You better get your act together and have this team playing well. So that's going to do it for us here. Enjoy the games, everybody. Uh, we'll be rooting for Colorado, too, again Saturday. So enjoy that. Giants lose. Jets on Sunday. We'll talk to you next week, everybody. See ya. If you enjoy the show, make sure to let everyone know by leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts or on our website at LockedUpSports.net. Remember, you can also find us on your favorite social media site, on Twitter at LockedUpSports, on the gram at Locked underscore up underscore sports. Join our Facebook group, Locked up Sports, or on TikTok at LockedUpSportsShow. Now you can catch all the latest from Locked up Sports anytime.